Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolution.org Hardcore Podcast coming away. Episode 174, Jordan Janowitz. Steve Schmee here in the mobster. How's it going across the pond? It's good. This this guy, listeners, is more like you than you think he is. So it's going to be interesting on the angle. Yeah, he's um he, you guys may have never heard of him, but he's an up-and-coming bodybuilder. But he still lives the normal life, meaning he still works our normal job and he does the bodybuilding. He hasn't caught, quite got to that point yet. So this is going to be interesting. He's only been around for about seven years. Recently, though, he started to turn heads due to his monstrous physique. And he's also got his pro card. His stats at competition time, five foot seven, 210 pounds. Over the past year, he has ballooned to close to 240, 250 pounds. And you can tell if you go on his Instagram page, you can look and see that he's basically uh, changing his physique, going from the more sculpted look. Now he's turning heads now, going for the big bodybuilder look. So, you know, sometimes people, you know, they mature they change their minds about what they want to do. So, and uh, the big beast monster look is, is really what gets it going. So he's definitely has a nice pedigree. He's trained at the world famous Venice beach Gold's gym out West in California. And he's also trained at the Bev Francis powerhouse gym on the East coast. So he's basically trained with some of the best bodybuilders in the country and in the world. So we're going to take a look at all that stuff in this podcast and take a look at his history, tell you a little bit about this guy, training style, mobster is going to get into that, and then we're going to talk about his steroid cycle. So let me get into his childhood a little bit. Uh, It's always cool to look at how they grew up. 20 minutes from Detroit, Michigan. He's a Midwest boy, suburbs of Michigan. Um, You know, it's a type of places where you leave your doors unlocked, the type of places where you know, you let your neighbors watch your kids, your kids play out front. You don't worry about the, the you know, stuff, you know, uh, bad stuff happening. Uh, small town living. Big fan of basketball. Basketball is popular mobster in that part of the country, the Midwest. Of course, it's an indoor sport and the Midwest has pretty bad weather. A lot of wind, a lot of snow during the winter. Um, tornadoes, man. Yeah, tornadoes, all that stuff. So basketball is a big thing um over there um in, in right next door in indiana indiana is known the indiana hoosiers you know it's known as a big basketball hotspot kentucky same thing michael jordan believe it or not was his hero growing up i've not heard a bodybuilder say michael jordan was their hero so that tells you where his mind was growing up it wasn't on bodybuilding his hero wasn't arnold his hero wasn't lou frigno his hero wasn't the rock even his hero growing up was Michael Jordan, one of the best basketball players of all time, of course, during the 80s and early 90s. When he was in middle school and high school, he was also into track, basketball, of course, in long distance running. Yeah, and Mobster, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. I'm just going to jump in real quick. I mean, this is a thing, right? This, for, the, for the younger listeners, they won't understand this, but the older listeners will know what we're on about. It's in terms of. Um, bodybuilding i've mentioned in previous podcasts so you should really look at someone like yourself so a five foot seven bodybuilder even before he's got started looking at someone who's close to seven foot two or seven foot and change is unusual but it it does indicate as steve smith just said what the thing was for where he was so you know you didn't matter how tall or short you was you was in the basketball didn't matter you know, if you were heavy or like you was in the basketball. So it's it's interesting and probably still is in the basketball, even though 
at five foot seven, there's absolutely no way, uh, I say no way, very little way that he would end up being a top basketball pro. I mean, the only other really good example, Steve, thinking about it, would be, of course, Mr. Olympia Phil Heath, who's no giant in terms of height, but managed to play to a very high level himself. That's unusual. And again, like I said, for the most part, we tend towards something like ourselves. So whether we imagine ourselves a great soccer player or a great uh, swimmer or whatever else, uh, it's, it's rare to see someone, you know, choose something that doesn't look like them, doesn't think like them, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, unusual for a five foot seven bodybuilder, even as a young man, even as a teenager, whatever else, to choose something. That's a really good indication of being affected or, or, or whatever by his background, Steve. Back to you. Yeah, and yet I remember, too, in these small towns, the, the schools are a lot smaller. So if you go out for your basketball team, you're five foot seven. You know, you're going to have an opportunity to show yourself if you can play. But where I went to school, I went to a more an urban, urban school. And me as a five foot six guy, I go out for the basketball team. The coach is not even going to give me an opportunity to show what I got. So it's two different things for sure. So, you know, that's the big argument uh, that we have in the United States about, you know, how big should these schools be? Should they be small enough where everybody gets an opportunity to play any sport they want? Or should it be a big school where your competition is stiff, where, you know, the high school I went to, we had two, three guys on my uh, football, high school football team and basketball team make it to the pros, you know? So where does that, where does that leave someone like me? Who's, you know, slightly above average genetics, to, to, who's five foot six. Leaves yeah, me yeah, nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I, you know so. genetics, but the, as yeah. you say, your height goes against you. I'd actually, I, I came up when my school was quite big, 1300 plus, just to stay on this very, very briefly. I, I would go with a big school. And I say that not necessarily because I enjoyed being at a big school, because of real world bullshit. And it's quite simple, really, as you know, right? It's no, no good going to a small school and everybody gets an opportunity, as you say, which was great for educational purposes, and then going into the real world and find out that the real world is pretty much made up of everybody, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, millions, whatever. Right, where the competition isn't amongst you and a few hundred, it's amongst you and everyone else. And so quite simply, being the best basketball player in a small school don't mean shit when it comes to being a pro in the big leagues. Yeah. When you get to college, yeah. Yeah, when you get to college, the reality sets in because when you get to college, you're not making the basketball team in any any college, you know? So it's like That's what happened. So, yeah, that's 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 true for sure. Yeah, I'll, so. I'll go with the real world stuff. I mean, it's great. Like I said, education, small, 100%, because you're going to get more focus, more teacher attention, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of real world application, you're talking about everybody. The whole, you know, if I apply for a job locally, for example, I'm probably semi-retired now, but if I apply for a job locally, I, I could be looking at people that are within 100 miles in any direction. And, and and even where I'm living right now, that's probably four or five hundred thousand people. Uh, and, and out of that, it's all about 50, 60,000 people that might be looking for a job, even if they're already working or whatever else. So it's not not a hundred. It's not 150. Like it might be a small school. It's, I would prefer the big one and realizing that, you, you, you know, being a great small school basketball player is not the same as playing in the big leagues when you're looking at guys that could be. Um, what do you call it when 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 they're given contracts from all over the country when they're drafted from everywhere in the states, and that's three hundred and something god million people. So yeah, it's it's a different ball game, so to speak, and uh, it's more real world. And of course, that might be why, as we know with this fella, he's got a job, and uh, even as a professional bodybuilder. So you know, it, as good as whatever he was at school, he's got his head screwed on. And as I said, he has more in common. With our listeners, as I said earlier, and we get into the why a little while, then, then most of the professionals that we talk about, ignoring his genetics, everything else about him, for me, and that's the perspective I'm going with today, is that this guy is like you people listening. Back to you, Steve. One of the other quirks about his childhood, which is interesting, Mobster, he didn't meet his father till he was 11 years old, and he that's was raised weird. by a single mother. But... Mm doing the research on him, seeing him in interviews, the weird thing is, is he's got no ill will toward his father. He says his father's a great man, yada, yada, yada. So that was, that's, that was a little weird. That just shows you 
his mentality and what kind of person this guy is. He's just like, okay, I didn't meet my father till 11. I'm not going to hold it against my father for the rest of my life. I don't know. It was kind of very strange to me, but maybe not to other people. I'll jump in there very quickly again, Steve. You and I are quite, I would say, quite strong mentally for the most part. We get the same stresses and bullshit everybody else does, but we're kind of quite forthright and probably very direct in our thinking and whatever else. So here's something that sometimes comes up. And we see this even on the forums where guys, gals, forum members are kind of sort of, you know, they're given excuse for why they're fat. They're given excuse for why they're overweight and whatever else, right? And in life and on the forums, we'll see this kind of stuff come up. And I'm kind of like, right, so that thing that happened to you 20 years ago is stopping you doing the thing that you want to do now. Is that what you're telling me, guys? Is that what you're saying to me? This guy could quite easily, and with almost, you know, it sounds reasonable to say, listen, I could have been angry, I could have been bitter, I could have been, where the fuck you been for the last 11 years? What the fuck, you know, why are you coming back into my life or wherever else, right? But that's on you. It's on you as an individual. Really, the only person that ends up bitter and twisted is you. The only person that stresses about it is you. And it's like, I, I, it's, I think I think it's in the euphemism where it says, right, so I'm carrying around this burden. And I would say, well, put that fucking burden down. Just put it down. It's, I mean, you're the, only, the only person that's struggling, the only person suffering is you. You're choosing to carry that rock. You're choosing to carry that anger. You're choosing to carry that frustration. Now, you might have a right to be pissed off with, you know, not seeing your father for 11 years. Okay. Well, who, who, who's suffering and, and stressing and who's going through life bitter and twisted? Who's using it as an excuse to be an alcoholic? Who's using it as an excuse to take drugs? Who's using it in, in our context but not training your ass off and becoming the best you that you can be? And essentially, the, the argument comes down to it's you. You know, the, maybe your dad had a good reason and we don't know what the situation is with Jordan because we don't know much about him in that particular regards. But he's taken the right attitude maybe he was well pissed off then his dad come back into his life they sat down and had a conversation he's let that shit go and he's become what he's become he's become the best team that he's become maybe and we again it's one of those things we'd have to ask him directly maybe that little tiny bit of anger and frustration is what drives him in the gym but his relationship with his dad as uh, steve smith just said pretty good and he, he's, he's a good family guy himself. He hasn't carried it through to shitty relationships. He doesn't uh, disappear off, the, into, off into the horizon with regards to his own children. He hasn't allowed that thing to become a burden. I'm, I, I think this is amazing. I think it's really, really cool. And again, listeners, you can learn from this guy for that reason, if for no other reason. Ultimately, these burdens that we have sometimes are self-inflicted we choose to be angry, we choose to be bitter, we choose to have this crap carried around inside our heads and, and pissing ourselves off with it. And it's what holds us back sometimes as humans or whatever else. Basically, and to put it crudely, let that shit fucking go. And Jordan looks like he let that shit go real early. And what would have been his formative years, Steve, coming up to almost, not quite, but almost a teenager when everybody seems to have stresses and aggravations, and they're trying to find a way of life. Here he is, 11 years of age. What what a guy, really. What a solid head he's got on his shoulders. About you. Another little quirk, and then we'll move on to his bodybuilding now. He wanted to become a veterinarian. So that tells me that he's uh, he loves animals, and he probably grew up with a lot of animals. In his, um, like maybe, be. Yeah. He realized he did not have the patience to go to that much schooling. So... He switched and he pursued a degree in criminal justice, and that's what he did. So we're going to get into, uh, yeah, and, and as Mobster alluded to, he does have a career in criminal justice even to this day, so as of this podcast. So let's get into his early bodybuilding. Um, he admits when he first got into weightlifting, he had no idea what he was doing. He would just watch pro bodybuilders online, try to copy them. It didn't get him where he needed to go. You got to remember when you're watching these guys online, they're looking – to do a video that's exciting they're not looking to show you how to properly do the lift necessarily you see what i'm saying and i'll, I'll bring in mobster to explain that one yeah yeah i'll just jump in here very quickly Stephen. in fact i saw this uh, mentioned in an article 
or an online thing just recently, and it was tip top, the best piece of information going. Right, so 90% of the guys that go to a gym, never mind for our forum members who are trying to improve themselves with his PEDs, PED advice, nutritional advice, uh, training, whatever, across the different forums, but specifically with Evo and Elite I'm thinking of, is 90% of those guys could go, see, look in a gym, and we know that there's people not giving their heart and soul to what is essentially really basic stuff. So if they're not squatting their fucking ass off, if they're not, to, to be crude and exaggerated slightly, if they're not trying to get into nosebleed territory when they're leg pressing or benching or deadlifting or pressing, and they go online, as you say, and they watch a fantastic video by a TikTok bodybuilder with amazing genetics, getting away with doing, you know, 10 different exercises for quads and five different exercises for glutes and three different exercises for hamstrings and thinking that's what they should do, then obviously we realise that even with PEDs, they're mistaken. And, and, and that comes down to, you and I see this all the time, Steve, you've got to get the basics right. If you ain't sleeping properly, you're not going to grow. If you're not eating properly, you're not going to hit your targets, whether that's losing fat or gaining muscle. And if you can't learn to train your ass off on the most basic of all exercises, there's zero point watching Ronnie or Jay or any other tip bob top bodybuilder who can maintain their muscle just by coughing and sneezing. Right? <laughs> Both those, I'll mean, give you an example. Ronnie is still not 100% back to where he was. But because of the therapy that he's been having, the um, stem cell therapy, he was recently, Steve, back up to 285 pounds. <laughs> the man is an absolute freak. And to learn from Ronnie, no, you should be inspired by Ronnie, but you can't learn from Ronnie. It's, just, you know, it's a muscular 285, 50 plus. It's, I think he's about my age. It's a 56, 57-year-old Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> from stem cell therapy, which most of their listeners won't even be able to afford, never mind uh, be in a position to uh, take. So guys, as you'll see from uh, Jordan, Jordan, once he got past the, you know, watching these videos, essentially his training, which we're going to get into in a minute, is quite basic, quite simple, but it's very effective. It does what it's supposed to do. He gets the most out of it. And that's how you learn. Watching... Uh, I, I, for me, Steve, and I think the same thing would apply to you, when I watch those videos, there's as much for education vis-a-vis you and I doing this podcast and being uh, keeping it, our nose to the grindstone and being current so we know what we're talking about when we're talking about these pros. But it's more inspirational than educational. I don't learn how to do a curl by watching a fella online for, for these kind of videos. I learn how to get into the gym and smash smash my way through the West. That's it. And it's, so it's motivating me. It doesn't educate me. Not now, and hopefully not after the length of time you and I have been training or whatever else. We're able to coach people, so we should know this stuff. Jordan made the same mistake that everybody else makes, and that is going on there and thinking this is how he should train, and obviously learned that wasn't the case. That's when he started to add muscle, as we're going to talk about, the training which we're going to get into in a little bit. And if he's made any change, he's just literally going from where he was then to where he was is now and getting his professional card back to you. Yeah. He hooked up with a guy named Carl Jackson. You guys probably never heard of this guy. Um, I actually looked into Carl Jackson and um, he's based out of Michigan. I think that's the guy he's talking about, but this guy I believe is a former Marine and he's a pretty big bodybuilder. So he kind of took him under his wing and he kind of taught him from the age of 21 years old, but he made him promise that you're going to take it seriously. Otherwise, I'm not going to help you. And that's something that he took seriously. You know, he, he's a man of his word. So he took it seriously. First ever competition, natural Michigan contest. He won it outright. He started getting ready for his next competition was the 2013 MPC Junior Nationals. He got second place in that one. The next year in 2014, IFBB North American Championships he went up against some well-known names, Eric Ramirez, Robert Irby. He got second in the light heavyweight category. So over the next few years, he competed in about a dozen competitions. His best finishes third place at the 2015 North American Championships light heavyweight. Next year, 2016, USA Championships light heavyweight, fourth place. So 
when he competed at the NPC Amateur Olympia in 2018, he finished third place in the light heavyweight class. Then in 2020, he was second at the NPC North American Championships heavyweight class. So his physique made quite a transformation yes. in his weight class. He went from to the 210, 215 area, because uh, almost to 240, 250, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So you look at his Instagram and you look at the way he used to look and the way he looks now. You know, that was uh, that was a change. You know, he decided to compete against the bigger boys. And this may have, you know, he looks like a different person. Like if you go on his Instagram, it's like, is this the same person? I mean, it's it's just huge. Um, he looks like an absolute beast. So, you know, well, we'll see if he can get his uh, physique under control. This guy can definitely do something in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there's something else that comes in here, Steve. And I think I've, I've talked about it in previous podcasts as well. I said the first year, two years of me competing, I wouldn't listen to a mentor that I had, David Horn. And it took me those two years to start to pay attention. Uh, so I was competing like Jordan was, and I was okay, but I wasn't great. And being around other competing bodybuilders, realizing where you're making mistakes and eventually getting your act together, in my case, which was being really, really good on one event and okay on other events. And then, of course, that means great. So I win first place, second place on the first event, but I kind of end up middle of the field overall. And you go, right, and what do I need to do? Well, I need to bring up my crap lifts to have a standard where I actually start a place. And the same thing applies to any competing bodybuilder. You learn how your body works. You learn what diet works, whether you can carb load, not carb load, and so on and so forth. We talk about getting guys on stage. Guys, listen, if you ever compete, you're not going to, you're not, it's going to be extremely rare that you go out and kick ass from day one. So Jordan has arguably paid his dues. He's gone to school. He's learned what works. He's learned what PEDs you can use, what diet you can do, how much cardio you can take. And he's slowly but surely improved. And being around other people that are trying to kick your ass has made him raise his game. And as Steve says, I mean, you look at the numbers here. Going from 215, let's say 2016, to 257 in 2021 is essentially it's a 35 pound and change gain over a period of five years. So that's six or seven pounds a year, which is a lot. Uh, but again, he obviously has the genetics to be able to do that. Even if the rest of you want to gain two or three pounds a year, get, look at uh, Jordan again, look at his transformation from what he was to what he is. And Think about the time scale. One of the great things that happens all the time in, I say it's not even that great, really, all the time in success. People like to talk about someone being an overnight sensation. What they really mean is that the media, the, the people that follow that person, that sport, that activity, whether like films, for example, have started to pay attention to. In reality, Jordan's been training since he was at school. In reality, He's been competing for five, six, seven years. And in reality, it took him that long to figure out his body, figure out training, to learn everything he needed to learn, working with coaches, working with dietitians, work, trying different PEDs to get his place, body to the, that place. So it's not overnight. It's just now, even with us doing this podcasting, that he started to come to our attention because he looks like someone who's got potential to kick ass in the future. And, and, and it's taken him six or seven years. It's taken us five minutes to notice him. But it took, we didn't know what he, the hell he was doing six or seven years ago. So, guys, learn that much again. This is a tip-top pro bodybuilder that's taken that long to get everything together in the right way. Now, what we try to do with this podcast and the other revolutionary podcast is that we try to shorten that time scale for you. So we give you this information. It, from the stuff that we've learned over 30 or 40 years, from the information that's come from other people that have been training even longer than we've been alive, and we've tried to shorten the time that it takes you to learn, lessen the amount of mistakes that you're going to make, and get you there to where you want to be as quick as possible. And again, as I say, Jordan is no overnight success. It's taken him six or seven years to get to where he is. He looks to me, and I think Steve has already kind of referred to this in the article, that someone who's got a potential for the future, if he keeps plugging away, keeps moving up the places, another couple of years, we could see him potentially on the Arnold or the Olympia stage. Back to you, Steve. One of the quirks as well in his Instagram, which I thought 
was interesting. He's only got 30,000 followers, which is a lot, but compared to some of the other bodybuilders, it isn't much, but he's building it. But one of the quirks I noticed, um, officer, is if you click on some of his training videos and stuff, and people will actually ask him questions about his training, and he'll actually respond. So that tells me, you know, a few things. That tells me, number one, it's him running his social media. He doesn't have a marketing team running his social media, okay, like these other bodybuilders who have 500,000 followers. You have a marketing team. It might be a team of one person, two people, five people, a company. I have no idea. But it's not them who, who run the marketing because they don't have the time for that or they don't want to make the time for that. And also they're making enough through endorsements where they can afford to do that. He is not in that situation yet. He is not in that situation where he can quit his full-time job and just do bodybuilding full-time and get endorsements and get repping jobs. But that's where he's trying to get to. So he still has a full-time job working as a correctional officer. This is something that's of interest again to our listeners, guys. And I've, I think I've played on this idea before, and I've certainly discussed it with Steve in pre shows and after shows, where I've turned around and said that a buddy of mine that was training here uh, when we had all the COVID situation at his worst um, was talking about doing an Instagram figure physique type thing. And I can't remember what class it was. The long and the short of it was he, he was seeing these stuff online. He was thinking this was the way to go. And I showed him that there were guys that were training here that were getting pretty good wages. In fact, very, very good wages, well above the national average, working on the railways, working on, on, on the electrical network, the pylons, as we call them, working up in the forestry. And, you know, with a few couple of qualifications and if you had connections, which we did, we managed to get this guy a job. And, and we said to him, listen, if you, you can carry on doing your dream, uh, but in reality, you need to be working three, four, five days a week on the real money and then following your dream at the weekends. And if the dream ends up being a fantastic career, fine, but let's get real. And there's something again, with regards to Jordan, that there's a sense of reality here. His salary or the job that he does is a little bit above the national average, I believe for America, it's not a great salary for what it is. Uh, the opportunities that are probably going to be presented to him, I think they're coming real soon and we'll see that. But equally, and I'm just thinking of a very bad example in its way, having a team is no guarantor of uh, a standard that we would like. And a good example of this recently was former Mr. Olympia, Dorian Yates, employing a team, I believe, of six or seven people. And a, and, and a bodybuilding and bullshit broadcast uh, covered this, where the um, pundit contacted the team and was asked a bunch of questions up to and including, would you be prepared to put $10,000 towards your training instruction if you had Dorian on your side? And essentially, I think they were trying to weed out the, the bullshitters and the people that were really prepared to put the effort in, et cetera, et cetera. But it came across in a terribly commercial way that kind of took away from the experience that you would had working with him, Mr. Olympia, the one-to-one -one focus that you would get the ass kicking that Dorian would give you in the gym. It basically meant that Dorian really only wanted real people that were really going to prepare to put the time and the effort, et cetera, in. But the way that the marketing team was working was kind of like it just felt so commercial, so money-orientated, that you almost kind of started to begrudge the idea that you're going to work with this Mr. Lipia because it just seemed like an exercise of making as much money as possible and not about him giving you the debt from breakfast his experience and trying to turn you into the best bodybuilder, just into whatever you wanted to become with Dorian's aid. And that's just an example there. And we also see, for example, and I think the big Rami sleeve, because we've done him and covered him in a previous uh, podcast, big Rami is Egyptian and uh, talks in Egyptian and Arabic uh, and refers, for example, when you know that it's him posting, he'll refer to the Islamic faith and you know thank certain people or whatever else. And then, as you know, Steve, his current sponsor, Enhanced, seems to cover the rest. So suddenly you get incredibly good English, which Rami, bless him, as good as his English is, is not as good as we've seen when Enhanced are covering it. You'll see nothing but a focus on products for Enhanced. And it's perfectly obvious that it's the marketing team and not Rami. Now we want, if nothing else, Steve, if I have a marketing team backing me and I'm in that position on Instagram, 
I want them to know who I am, what I'm like, and that should come across in the responses that they give. It shouldn't, it shouldn't sound like me one day and a marketing team the next. So there's that element as, as well, guys. And I think this thing sometimes, I think to, to use a euphemism, keep it real. So whether you are trying to push a product, sell a T-shirt, get a protein powder tub extra out to, 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 to your followers, and make sure an extra few bucks for yourself, keep it real. Because the your followers, the people on your Instagram profiles, on your social media, will eventually tire if it's just marketing bullshit. A, a great example on the Instagram here, and we talked about this in another uh, podcast recently, Steve, is there's family stuff on there. There's pictures of him with his missus, there's pictures of him with his kids, his daughters, I believe they're both daughters, I think. He's got pictures of him in the gym goofing around with his daughter, little video clips and so on. So that's real. That's not just, he's not plugging a product, he's not pushing himself, he's not trying to sell you a signed photograph. He's just posting on Instagram, giving you a, so what he's doing, and, you, and you're seeing everything. There's a little bit of training, a little bit of family, there's a little bit of everything. It's not become money orientated yet. Maybe that will change. Maybe out of necessity it changes. If you quit your day job, you need to make a buck. And maybe there's, that's where that emphasis is coming in. But it still needs to feel like it's you doing it and not a team of people that are just there to take $10 off the, off the followers. Steve? Yeah, so let me talk a little bit about his diet and then Mobster will get into his training. We're going to talk about his steroid use, of course. You know, during the season, very strict eggs, chicken, broccoli, yogurt, nuts, peanut butter, steak, rice, and whey protein powder. And then his cheat meals that he likes, donuts and cheeseburgers in the off season. So he'll eat more cheat meals in the off season when he's bulking in season, his diet is extremely strict. So really nothing crazy. I didn't really see anything too, you know, off kilter with, with his diet strategy it's pretty much the same thing you know um, bulk up and have a cheat meal every now and then and then the off season really really strict so mobster what'd you find on his training what what do you what do you got on his training on the on the nutrition there steve we say this all the time on this podcast it's boring but it works it's it's dull but it works You've got to put in the time at the table, learn to cook, and then do what these people do. When a top, but a person with great genetics eats like this, don't think you can get away with if it fits my macros. So do what they do, find out what works for you, plug away. Training, Steve, is actually interesting for me because, as I said to you in the pre-show, so much of what he does, and again, I'm not a bodybuilder, but so much of what Jordan does is the sort of stuff that I would say that I do. As an example... It says, and I quote, mostly heavyweight, low volume, although he will shake it up from time to time. While I'm, I'm a heavyweight, low volume kind of guy, you can almost argue it's, it's like heavy duty, HIT type training, but he puts that shaking up in there just for the stimulus. He says, and I quote, prefers compounds of free weights over machines. Again, that's me all over. And if you go on these um, Instagram, you can see, whether it's seated press or squat, deadlift, whatever else. And again, I touched on this earlier on, Get the basics right, you'll grow. Get the basics right and you'll add muscle, you'll get stronger and whatever else. So the basics would be pressing, the basic would be benching, the basic would be squat. And here he is plugging away and getting his pro card by keeping it like that, keeping it simple and appreciating that, for example, Steve, this argument comes up a million times. The argument between uh, free weights versus machines pretty much comes down to um, free weights work your stabilizers and therefore you're working harder if not necessarily focusing specifically on a particular muscle so for example a barbell bench press say versus a machine bench press i would probably get a better contraction in my pectoral muscles using a machine specifically if i can find one that works me very well the angle is perfect and if i move around a little bit on the actual seat pad and then i just say focus on the contraction but i won't necessarily focus build up any strength in my stabilizers and my delts, my triceps, and so on and so forth, versus dumbbell or barbell bench press. And so again, this is what he's talking about here. Something that we've referred to earlier on, there is an inference in um, online information suggesting that he's worked with, to some degree, Matt Porter, but I, I suspect that might be more with the PED use, because I think Matt is kind of famous or infamous for that, versus Carl giving him the basis of training 
and the basics of nutrition and getting him 90% of the way there. Um, something I want to touch on before we talk about uh, PEDU, Steve, uh, outside of the training thing, but it's kind of there as well. We refer to his job and his day job is a correctional officer. And a lot of our listeners, Steve, will train uh, working as, on occasion, doorman, door security, uh, bouncers, as they're sometimes called, uh, police officers, correctional officers, uh, shop, even shop security, and, and these kind of jobs. And um, Jordan, in prison, being bulked up, being muscular, being strong, especially on the basics, means that added muscle has a effect on the prisoner's psyche vis-a-vis -vis you're seen as a big muscular guy you're going to get a certain amount of respect um it also means that if it kicks off if you have to put a prisoner a con to the ground you're better able to handle them you're better able to uh, cuff them you're better able to control them and that applies to the other jobs that i've mentioned already and so i find it interesting steve as i said to you in the pre-show that someone like jordan it sounds so much like a, a big percentage of our listeners that they end this is it's not unusual for these big muscular guys those of you that are 200 220 230 240 pounds for one reason or another we all seem to end up at some point in their life even me if briefly um have done some sort of element of work like this um in addition to necessarily a day job or what else with jordan it, it is his day job and one of the things I specifically mentioned in the pre-show to, to Steve was this idea that, for example, with me, with grip training, I've actually had uh, myself and another guy that was doing very well in American competition, given advice to correctional officers that were asking because we were, because of our grip and specifically via a fat grip type equipment and wrist rollers, the idea that we could grab hold of someone's wrist, someone's forearm, someone's upper arm on a normal sized person, even pushing our hands into the shoulders and flicking that wrist over with the other hand meant that we were able to control them. If you could control them, they, as crazy as it sounds, there's less chance of you and the person you're trying to control getting hurt. And again, this applies to Jordan, who's 257 pounds on stage in condition, so it'd be a little bit heavier out of condition in the off season, walking around as a correctional officer in an American prison, one, can, one should hope that his ability to get respect from, control, and if need be, uh, help cuff and put into or take out of a cell or deal with cons would be enhanced by the fact that he trains, and especially with free weights and whatever else. As far as we know, and we haven't seen any evidence to, to say otherwise, he hasn't managed to get injured himself, and there's no sort of horrible stories out there for him in regards to stuff that he's had to deal with. So, so far, it's worked. And again, there's, there's, there's an element of, Steve, as you know, just being bigger, muscular, uh, regardless of how tall or short or whatever you are, there are certain people that respond to that, uh, that gives a certain level of respect. Not everybody, of course, but certain people see you as a muscular fella. It, it ends up quite simply as someone not to be messed with. In reality, it doesn't make you a great fighter, but it does mean sometimes that you don't have to fight just because people are wary because of how you look and, and, and how you appear to come across. And that applies to someone that's a professional bodybuilder for sure. And especially if they're, can you imagine what he looks like in a, in a and a correctional officer's uniform walking around the cells or whatever else, Steve, you must look like a fucking giant. We'll get into uh, the what's talked about a PED use, but first, why don't you talk about him being a correctional officer and using steroids? I mean, he can't discuss his steroid use for that reason. Yeah. He would yeah. probably get fired, right? So talk a little bit yes. about that. How does he how does he yeah. balance this that? Is out? This is something we've occasionally seen where we get with it's a military guys and gals that we've had on the forums who ought to know really what the military code is. And we, yet we know that there are a couple of professional bodybuilders who work and still work in the military. We know of at least one Mr. Olympia, Ronnie, who was a police officer while he was meeting Mr. Olympia. And we know with Ronnie, for example, historically speaking, that pretty much everybody that's ever worked with him to any great degree said he got as far as his first Mr. Olympia, when he came last, uh, without any PEDs. And only when he got to the stage of being on the Mr. Olympia stage that he started to use PED use. And even then, there's the, the story of him working with, having that vodka, coffee and vodka conversation with Kevin Leverone. He wasn't 
he didn't he had no idea about diuretics he had to have a conversation with flex wheeler about diuretics and professional PED use and so on and so forth and yet we were talking at that time and i believe for the first four mr olympias that he won he was still a police officer so here's how this shit works i think and it applies to the military people it applies to prison officers co's it applies to uh, any time when you could be tested with one or two exceptions and i'm thinking possibly of the fbi and, and those kind of institutions for the most part if you are a good co if you do your job well if your commanding officer your co in the military the next person up with as a sergeant captain lieutenant major whatever else regardless of whether you're male female or whatever if you are a good soldier a good policeman if you do your job properly if you're respected by your colleagues no one complains and if no one complains and you're not pissing anybody off then they don't ask for the test i think that's how it works for ronnie i think that's how it works for a couple of other professional bodybuilders i can think of i think that's how it should work for jordan if you're a dick if you're a roid rage head type person if you walk around like your shit don't smell if you're not making friends if you're pissing people off if complaints are coming left right and center if you're in the military and you're not fucking working with the team and you're not doing your job properly then they test you it's almost as simple as that in the military for example um it's not uncommon and especially if you're kind of crap uh, doing your job to be tested for recreational drugs for weed for coke for speed for whatever but it's and, and again that can be a kind of random thing whether they say like there's a hundred fellas out that we need to do free tests today and you might get caught for something stupid like that uh equally if you as i said that's that's us that test is kind of cheap to test for performance enhancing drugs specifically steroids is more expensive the cheapest off the top of my head now would probably be about 130 pounds so about 150 160 versus say for example steve a 30 or 40 dollar test and of course the the government doesn't want the military or any other organization where the bottom line matters for profit to, for you to spend 150 160 170 dollars having your staff tested for steroids and especially if they've done nothing wrong if they're doing their job properly etc so it's one of those things of where it's written down in a rule book versus the real world so in the rule book it's really there for getting rid of the fucking idiots and the lazy bastards and those people that are not doing their property or those ones that got a shitload of complaints from both the other staff and and their bosses and perhaps in this particular case from the cons and whatever else so i have to assume that he does his job well gets on well with the other staff gets on well with his bosses and isn't getting a load of complaints for mishandling or excessive force etc from the cons otherwise there'd be a pretty good chance that because he'd blackened his name because he'd pissed people off or whatever else he'd have had that test so like i said steve real world is against the rules real world it's almost certain that you can't use that kind of stuff real world says one thing and so in terms of the rules but the real world says the other thing that if you can do your job properly if you got on people if you're great with customers and so on and so forth uh, then this, this should never occur. And I'll give you an example again with Ronnie Common. Towards the end of his time as a police officer, he was um, doing a lot of public school. He was going to schools. He was doing a lot of publicity work for the uh, local uh, Texan police that he was working with the, in, in the area that he was working, the local force. So he was going to schools and talking to school kids. He was going to events representing the institution. He was doing publicity work versus being put out on, on, on the road. And he, in fact, we've seen on the video that done the documentaries that were done on Ronnie, where he would turn up and, and, and say that people would respond to his physical size when he was 300 plus pounds and he's turning up in the police shooting form. They're just standing there going, what the fuck is this? And kind of putting hands out to be arrested and letting him get on with his job. And he wasn't having to fight with people, put them on the ground and whatever else and do that kind of stuff. So, yes, yeah, real world versus um, the rules and the regulations. The, if it, there are a few examples, I mean, even give an example here in the UK, Stephen, I think you have it in the States, um, in order for you to work for Amazon in one of their facilities, packaging parcels up for the customers that are going across the world, they drug test you, but it's almost always for recreational drugs. They cut that, that that's like the, the amount of tests that they do, Steve, is like $20, $30 a person. And they pretty much only do it once right, when you're applying for the job. Very, very rare to do it again. 
if you turn up drunk, they're going to sack you and send you home. There's plenty of other people to go work for Amazon. Uh, do they test for steroids? Do they fuck? I know I've been, I've worked for Amazon, and I people see people stand up and leave when they realize that the test that they were going to have was for Coke because they'd indulged two days before the weekend, before they'd gone for the job. And they realized that it's going to show for Coke. It was going to show for whatever the hell they used on the weekend. Whereas everybody else in the room was fine, including myself, because we wasn't indulging at weekends. There was certainly no performance enhancing drugs being tested for because that would require a urine test. It would require a blood test. It didn't require, uh, I think, a swab, which was what we were doing at the end, or a spit test or anything like that. So yeah, it's one of those things. Sometimes, Steve, it comes down to the simple cost, but as often as not, as I said, if you're a good guy and you're doing your job well and you're getting on with your buddies, you're getting on with your boss, then why would they test? They, they want you there. They want you doing your job. And as I said, it can come down to complaints. That includes, in his case, the cons, the prisoners. And if they're not putting in excessive brutality or excessive force complaints and whatever else, and working with legal teams to get him sacked, then it's a good indication that he's a good overall CEO. And no one wants to have him tested because they like him being there and like him doing his job. Yeah, simple as that, Steve. Let's kind of talk about his uh, bulking cycle here. Uh, he got up to 260, summer of 2021. And, um, you know, that's, that's incredible for someone who's five foot seven. So he's, he's an absolute beast. He's trying to basically, he wants, he's got some big plans ahead. Uh, so how do you, you know, what was probably the cycle that he used? So we need to talk about HGH and insulin two to one ratio, using the HGH at a two two to one ratio over the insulin, 25 IUs versus 12 IUs of the insulin. Uh, be, basically, you're going to use the insulin to help you partition that food that you're consuming. You use the HGH. HGH is a, you know, human growth hormone does a lot of things in the body, it splits and grows cells. It, it helps with the situation. But if you do use a lot of HGH, it's, um, you do need to use that insulin with it to get that blood sugar back down. So that's why you see a lot of pro bodybuilders use those two together. One of the other steroids we don't get to talk about much, Decadura Bolin, 1200 milligrams a week. Great for appetite. So for him to get that big, obviously you've got to eat an insane amount of food. And, you know, he's probably eating five, six, even 7,000 calories a day on some days to get that big, to be that short in height and that big, you've got to eat a lot. Now, the normal person just going to get fat eating that much. But for him, you know, you got to combine the genetics, the training, the diet, um, eating good, clean foods, even though he's eating a lot. But he's also using these PEDs to his advantage. But Decadurabolin is great to throw in there 1,200 milligrams a week. And the reason I did, um, you know, with this uh, cycle examples, it's great for appetite. We stack it with Sustenin 250, which is for ester testosterone on the blend for esters 1500 milligrams a week oh my gosh the appetite that you're gonna get is just to the point where it's annoying you wake up in the morning you want to eat you go work out you come home you want to eat you take a nap you get up you want to eat and that's that's the idea here that's the idea to bulk you're not going to get to 260 pounds at five foot seven without eating a lot and eating often Basically, you need to have an appetite all the time. Otherwise, you're just not going not gonna to eat. So uh, being a lover of food as I am, I've been there, done that. I've run uh, Deca and, and Sustenin together, which is a blend of four esters. And my appetite was crazy on that. So, I'm, I'm, so yeah, jump, jump in, in Yeah, I'm going to jump in here very quick. It's kind of those little things, as you just said, with regards to the diet. I remember back in the day, I've, I've said online that one of my favorite cycles was Sust and Decker. And I don't know if it was at the same time, but it probably was. How hungry was we, Steve? We eat in food and we're thinking about the next meal that we're going to have. Like we're already hungry for the next meal while we're eating the food that we've got on our plate right now. That's how bad your appetite was on, on or could have been on, on these particular drugs. So guys, if you're underweight and you want to put a muscle, maybe... And again, it's one of those things that's quite individual, but certainly I believe it worked for me. And I think Steve's saying the same thing. We were, <laughs> we were thinking about food while we're eating food. I was thinking about the next meal while I was eating. I was on meal number four, I'm thinking about meal number five. Now, for sometimes, as Steve knows, and we see this even with professional bodybuilders, 
or for that matter, strength athletes. Again, I think Eddie Hall having to be spoon-fed food by his wife when he was like 10, 11, 12,000 calories a day and literally sitting at the table and she's putting food in his mouth. Come on, this is how you're going to become the world's strongest man. And him just wanting to go and put the food in the bin and go to bed and be done with it. So yeah, th this is how this stuff can have an effect on you. Certainly seem to recall it around the same time being my favourite cycle that, that my, my appetite, my hunger was such that as I'm consuming food, a solid meal, thousand calories, whatever, 800,000, 1200 calories, I'm still thinking about the next meal to come. I'm still thinking, oh, oh, I'm going to have this later on in a good way, not in a, oh my God, how much more food have I got to eat kind of way. So yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, so then we talk about one more steroid, and I'll bring again Mobster. Mobster, once you finish up with some of the orals that he may have ran, <coughs> um, Tremblone, 800 milligrams of your Tremblone. Tremblone, I think it's one of those steroids. If you're bulking, you're going to use it. If you're cutting, you're going to use it. If you're recomping, you're going to use it. Really, if you want strength, if you're a powerlifter, you're going to use it. It's one of those steroids, really, it's a universal steroid that if you want to keep up with your peers at anything regarding strength, mass, cutting, physique, anything. It's, it's something that not only you should use, but also you need to hope that you react well to it. Because some people don't react well to trend. Yes. Some people don't cut well on trend. Some people don't bulk well on trend because they get so sick on it that they can't eat. They get no appetite on trend. So even his, you know, even his mood, Steve, I think because of his job and the drugs that I'm about to mention in a minute, just after you, we know for some people, Decker and Sus are not really drugs that make you kind of irritable or angry, but whereas Trent and the, and the dosage that Steve's talking about here, 800 milligrams a week, can for some people affect how they feel. And with his job, can you imagine being kind of antsy and sweating not very comfortable no i think this is one of those things where jordan because he's using a sensible amount for a professional bodybuilder that's a bit more than most recreational users should use but also he handles his shit and he handles his ped use well so as you said it's the choosing the drugs here the amount etc cetera, etc cetera. it's being able to cope with some of the negative side effects or in fact maybe in his case steve not really having those negative side effects that because it goes in, it just makes him bulk up. It makes him go crazy in the gym, but it doesn't affect his relationship with his wife and his kids. It doesn't make him a bad CO in prison. It, it's just great for him as a drug to add muscle and become a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. And I think, I think as well, you have to remember he's, Kind of maybe he has the mentality that, you know what, I fell a little behind. Maybe I should have been doing this from the start. Maybe I shouldn't have tried to compete in the light divisions, you know, some of the early divisions that he competed in, you know, light heavyweight category, for example. I think there's uh, an element you know, that we touched on it earlier on in the podcast when we said about how he could have been anger, angry, bitter and twisted and had issues with not knowing who his father was or not having his father in his life for his first 11 years. And yet he's turned around and not had that become an issue. That speaks volumes to me, of, of, as I'll say here, with regards to how he responds to drugs, et cetera. He's probably just a chilled kind of guy. And these drugs haven't made him extra. They haven't sort of created, for, for want of a better phrase, I mean, you and I both know that a lot of it's bullshit when we talk about roid rage and so on and so forth. But there are examples, we know this, of certain PD users where their personality can become exaggerated. So as, as the saying goes, Steve, if you're an arsehole off drugs, you're a bigger arsehole on PEDs. If you're yeah. chilled off drugs. Yeah, so I think what's happened here, looking at, he could have easily been a bit interested individual because of the crap that he had, what most people would have seen as a shit situation. He didn't let it become a shit situation. He, he kind of sort of responds to it extremely well, extremely positively. And I think that's kind of an indication of his personality. So I'm saying here, trend, for example, would be the one, possibly, and I'll deal with the two orals in a minute, both of those have a little bit of a reputation in terms of how you can be on them. And he, I'm thinking he's one of those guys that just makes him a better athlete. It just means he trains better. And he doesn't, you know, struggle with some of the more irritating 
uh, response that some of us sometimes have to uh, PEDs and specifically in this example as an injectable, and I'll deal with the orals in a second with regards to TREN. I mean, we know TREN is the one number one drug specifically that can have a, an effect on your psyche. It's the one that's been shown in one or two studies to give dementia-like effect in older athletes, and I've addressed that before. It's the one that's going to give you sides in terms of sweating. And yet, of course, it's, as you say quite properly, as a professional bodybuilder, it's the one that's going to help you with uh, partitioning. It's the one that helps you with strength. It's the one that helps you with muscle. And again, the 800 milligrams a week here is not excessive. None of this cycle is truly excessive because we're thinking it's something, it gives them some place to go with regards to what his journey for PEDs, if nothing else, as the focus of this podcast, of course, where he might go in the future if he gets to the Olympia stage. So yeah, I've, I, I sort of think, and I think he's one of those guys that, for want of a better phrase, Steve, handles his PED use very well, uh, especially if he's using the drugs the way that we're suggesting. I mean, just a thing on the sustenance decor again, regards to diet, Steve, how difficult it would it be unless his buddies work with him and they help cover his ass in, in jail, in the prison, with re getting all those meals in, for example. And again, if, if he's had the appetite that you and I referred to, to getting all those meals in when you're working a 10 or a 12 hour shift can be difficult, especially if you're working nights, it's a lot easier than working days and so on and so forth. And those guys, if you're listening, the listeners, the followers of this podcast, again, if it can be done, it will be done. And there's a way to do it. But sometimes it'd be something like having your buddies help you with food, with your no one asking difficult questions when it comes to PEDs and so on and so forth. Yeah, back to you, Steve, before I address the orals. Yeah, and at the end of the day, too, sometimes, you know, it could be the opposite, what, what you mentioned at the beginning. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, be funny when I say this, but it's, it's ironic because I watched a show last night about a guy. Everyone loved him. He, he was in a small town. Everyone loved him. Um, he worked in hospice. He volunteered in hospice with the old people. He was a really nice guy. He was, like, everyone loved him in, in the town. He ended up over money beating up one of his neighbors with a two by four and killing him and um everyone was shocked how could this guy do that even his own wife at home could not believe he did it that she was actually sleeping next to uh, a killer so, so sometimes these guys that come off they're all nice and all this stuff behind the scenes it's it's not the case so um i i've I've been a landlord myself. I actually had a domestic situation, one of my tenants, and he was the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But when it ended up happening, he ended up abusing um, his girlfriend and the cops came and everything and they ended up um, getting evicted and stuff. So I've seen enough in my life to just conclude that sometimes, you know, these, the nicest guys behind the scenes can be, can be bad guys. And so, um, yeah, and there's a whole there's a whole reputation too behind, you know. Sometimes I mean, something an interesting thing is Steve, and we see this with regards to the media sometimes and how they'll deal with someone as a hero and enough to to to. I think the thing is it says where they build you up and then they knock you down, build you up and knock you down, and the reality of the situation is, I mean, bodybuilding magazines and specifically bodybuilding historically made out every person. All the stars of yesteryear, I'm thinking right up to the 70s, were heroes. They were amazing. You should aspire to live the dream that these guys are living and so on and so forth. And in reality, as I know, because of my knowledge of the history, especially in the last 10, 15 years, and I'm thinking, for example, Randy Roach's Muscle Smoking Mirrors and a couple of other books, they had the same issues that we've got. They are, it's quite simple, all your heroes, whether they're in the movies, whether they're a bodybuilder, whether they're an athlete, they have feet of clay, male and female. They are human. Well, I'm just saying here, for what we think of as a professional bodybuilder and what we think of as someone who works in prisons, in order to get through that stuff on a day-to-day -day basis while using PEDs, while having to plug away in the gym, while having you know four children in total, uh, including the couple that we're seeing on Instagram, the little girls there on Instagram in the gym, et cetera, et cetera, it's hard work. And if you was an arsehole, it'd be that much harder. If you was an arsehole and then I give you training, you're more of an arsehole. So I'm saying here, and I think this probably applies to a lot of professional bodybuilders. 
when we watch guys like Rami, etc., we assume quite properly that they're probably on some kind of, you know, trend acetate or whatever, a drug that can, in certain examples, irritate the hell out of you, even if it's just losing sleep with the night sweats and so on and so forth that trends responsible for. You have to be able to respond well to PED use full stop. Uh, there have been, of course, historically, two or three very famous bodybuilders, Craig Titus that we've done in a previous uh, video, using other drugs, of course, that were arseholes on drugs. They were arseholes before steroids. They were even bigger arseholes on steroids. And then they got into the other recreational use, drug use like Craig Titus and completely lost the plot. So one of those things that you need to be you need to have in your mental core and physical makeup is when you are using what can be harsh uh, injectable or in, in harsh oral steroids is you need to be able to respond to them in terms of growing muscle. You need to be able to respond to them in terms of your appetite. You need to respond to them in terms of how you look on stage. And I think part of that will include some of the mental aspect that you need to be able to respond, for example, with Trent again, to not turn into a dick, not be ran, rampage and ran. I mean, the guy that you mentioned earlier on, Steve, at that he was a, a PED user. So if he, if he was just one of those quiet guys who's completely lost a block and gone on a rampage. That the media love this idea that, you know, if we take steroids, we're going to be aggressive dickheads. In fact, I've, I've addressed this on a forum. If anything, I'm more chilled more re relaxed and certainly more aware of wherever I'm being angry for no reason on than I am off. Off, I'm more likely to have a fight. I'm more likely to be, you know, get the arsehole to go on a rampage, to, to be irritable, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that's a thing that sometimes we even see that with um, people that go on CRT, Steve, where they become more relaxed, they become more confident, they become less irritating uh, to themselves and their family and whatever else because they feel better. So there's an element of that. But Tren is that drug. Tren, Tren is one of those drugs, certainly, where it can have that effect. And I'm fascinated by the idea, as we say, that he might be taking 800 milligrams and still seems to be, because of the, everything else that we know, able to do his job. In Let's be honest, Steve, that could be a very high-stress situation. And if you're going to go on a rampage and if you're going to smash people, about, if you're going to be pinning police off the cons to the floor, and twisting their arm up at the back or whatever else. When is it going to happen if you're not a police officer or a prison officer at any other time? Yeah, like, trend is no me. joke. Yeah, definitely trend yeah, is yeah, no yeah. joke. It could change, change people. There's a trigger. There's yeah. a trigger in each job. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So take us into the disclaimer, buddy. It was a good show. Oh, sorry, let's do the other yeah, I just want to say, quickly. though, yeah, I just want to say first, Jordan Janowitz it seems like a really good, genuine guy. We yes. should be seeing him in the next year or two making waves. If he can kind of get his uh physique under control a little bit he's got the size we can get his physique under control a little bit and, and be able to to trim up we 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 could see him definitely um mr olympia stage you know top 15 maybe even top 10 so we'll keep an eye on this guy this is a guy we're doing you know early we're kind of like buying buying him before he goes up yes. kind of like buying a stock or a crypto before it rips up so let's see you know, we buy we buy a little bit a bit of shares in Jordan, and let's see if those uh, shares pay off in the next year or two. So keep an eye on him for sure. He's a he's a really cool guy, and check out his social media as well. So yep, I'll do it very quickly, Steve. We didn't mention too much, but the we're talking about the 800 milligrams of chain. We're also suggesting uh, as a way of enhancing his muscle size, uh, and both these two drugs. I think for me, for example, if I was using either one of them, I would certainly add some weight. Uh, and I would pound in the fuck out of stuff in the gym. So 150 milligrams a day of Anadrol and 30 milligrams a day of halotestin. Halotestin is specifically something that's been used for strength by powerlifters. And again, as I touched on with the trend, it's one of those ones that for some users will increase aggression, aggression and adrenaline type response for short term. It's not something, I think it's got fairly short half-life, I believe, Steve, without double checking. And it's a great, almost a pre-workout. And I hate the idea, because I've mentioned this online, of guys using oral steroids to enhance their workout as a kind of pre-workout. I'm a cup of coffee guy. I don't need to take drugs um, in order to enhance my workout. Cup of coffee, liven up, get in the gym, do what I need to do. But halo testing for powerlifters, for example, was a great one for enhancing 
strength in a short term above and beyond what you trained for in order for you to get the best out of your gym time or in the case of a powerlifter, your time on the platform. So yeah, 150 milligrams a day anadrol, 30, mill 30 milligrams a day halo tested, great gym type drugs, great bulkers, specifically combined with the other drugs that we've already mentioned. But again, as I've already said, my, my, my gut feeling is that Jordan handles his stuff very well. I agree with Steve closing. I think we've got in early with Jordan uh, because he's up and coming. Um, it's not, like I said, a five-minute wonder. He's been plug plugging away, but he's finally got to that stage. When you look at him online, when you see the photographs of him, he looks like a Nick Walker. He looks like a, uh, a Hunter Labrada type physique. And those guys are top five bodybuilders on the Olympia stage. So he's there or thereabouts. He's only going to need to come in dry, work on his tan, and have a little bit more stage experience. He's ready to get to that particular level. So it could be, guys, if you want to mark his card and say he's one to look out for, 100% is there. Um, hopefully, he's not going to be one of those guys that gets to this level and then suddenly disappears off because it's all become too much, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to see what he can do in the next two to three years and beyond, hopefully. Right then, Steve. Again, guys, quickly, he's a working man, plugging away, getting his shit done, and that should be like you, the listener. You should be thinking... Right, career, education, getting that stuff done, then going into the gym, pounding it on the basics like he is, pounding it on the compounds, getting the food in, not going on a crazy drug cycle and realising that this stuff takes time. He is not an overnight uh, wonder. He has taken six years of competing, seven years of competing to get to where he is today. But look him up. He is a freak. Be the best you that you can be. Put in the time like Jordan does. Don't go crazy on the drug like we're suggesting that Jordan hasn't and have a career, have an education and, and come out the other side, the size of a house, rip the fuck with a good career and a great family life to go on with. Guys, to finish, as always, please note, we are not doctors and the opinions that we give on this podcast are hours and hours alone. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, our podcast of informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies. <laughs>